0: Filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. In today's episode, we bring you the final instalment in our three-part series dedicated to workplace investigations. We've spoken about conducting an investigation, we've shared guidance on reviewing the evidence, but now it's time to take a deeper look at the workplace investigations report. And to talk about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by someone with considerable experience in workplace investigation reporting in Ireland and abroad, qualified barrister and dedicated member of the workplace investigations team. The very own Rebecca Bowman. How are you, Rebecca? Thanks for joining us.
2: Hi, Owen. Good morning. Thanks for the introduction.
1: Brilliant. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Insight HR. How are you, Mary?
3: I'm great. Thanks, Owen.
1: Brilliant So let's jump right in. Um, so as we said there, Mary, look. I suppose the flow of our, our three-part series, we've, I suppose, gathered our evidence, we've conducted our interviews, and now it's time to look at creating a report. So what are some of the key things to prepare or look out for when starting your workplace investigations report?
3: Yeah, this is this is a tricky one, own because I think, you know, and I said this, uh, I think on our last podcast on, on report writing, that it's the bit that Most HR people or most managers tasked with carrying out a workplace investigation find the hardest because it's where do you start you've got a massive file full of evidence presumably of interviews you carried out of uh, paper that you have of other evidence that you've collected uh on the way and then it's where do I start and how do I do it so in my experience and Rebecca probably has far more experience on report writing than I do um but Whenever I have done it, I always first thing I go back to the terms of reference and look and see what was I actually meant to do? And that sounds really simple, but you will be amazed at how many reports that we review that actually aren't addressing the fundamental issues outlined in the terms of reference in the way you're meant to address it. And then I break it down issue by issue whatever you're dealing with. So if it's a bullying allegation, for instance, usually people will, you know, submit a letter uh, of complaint, which the investigator uses to um, assess the veracity of that particular complaint. And they will have um, conducted their interviews based on that, on maybe a respondent's response, and on what witnesses have told them and then it's important to go back and say well what issues are there there how many issues do i need to report upon um and you've got to group together in headings your um proposed approach uh to the investigation but certainly you should have um outlined in the report the sequence of events you know what exactly did you do you got appointed on a certain date and what did you do thereafter um which clearly outlines the steps that you took the people you that you interviewed the information that you gathered the information that you shared during the process and if you have in the terms of reference um, that you issued your draft report for comment you'll have uh that Referenced there as well. So every single step you took, including any obstacles or delays that you encountered along the way, whether they, they arose because of um holidays or lack of availability of witnesses, or even the investigator being away on their own holidays, Christmas, those kind of things, you usually have to explain. Anything that has delayed the process. Um, And then when you get into the substance of it, you have to think about how am I setting out the evidence? And I always like to write it, and I think Rebecca will agree with this, um, as if. Um, I'm writing it for a third party and any third party so that it's easily understood by anybody who picks it up not just those involved in the process and um, not just the employer not just the complainant and the respondent or or even if there isn't a, a respondent you know it's always written with the view that everyone should be able to understand it. Um, I don't like to use fancy language. Um, I don't like to use jargon. And if you are explaining terms that are technical um, to your particular industry, I also like to explain them in the report. So you're writing it as if you're explaining it to anyone. Um, And I think that's important.
1: Absolutely. So I suppose kind of get into the, the nitty gritty of it then, Mary, we spoke last week about uncontested facts, contested facts, unsubstantiated claims, things like that. Um, how are these reported when it comes to the actual report itself?
3: Yeah, um, well, it, it's it's you you're documenting everything. So you're documenting um, something that's a fact that you have proven to be true. But you're, I suppose, putting together in the form of a story of some sort on each issue, what exactly happened? So, what did the person accused say happened? What did any of the witnesses say happened? What did the respondent um or the complainant say happened? So you're spelling that out in the report. Um, and then you're looking at um what do you believe, um, or who do you believe? And the sometimes facts are just simply facts. You, you can um, very simply say that a fact that people are on a call or in a room or stood together, or interacted in some way, or attended a party, or uh, were involved in having a photograph taken, or whatever whatever that is. There are always facts that um, are uncontested that you have people able to back up and verify that that something happened. Now, the the words that were spoken. Um the tone in which words were spoken the body language and the maybe attitude of someone that's where you get somebody contesting um facts in terms of saying no it didn't happen in that way that's not how i recall it uh this is what i recall and it may be entirely different. So, as the investigator, your job is to try and get as much information as possible so that you are able to describe facts. But there are times when you decide on the balance of probabilities that you believe one person more than another person and you explain the reasons why. It's not good enough just to say, you know, I believe own more than Rebecca without explaining the logic of that decision. If I'm going to say that I believe one person over another, um, you need evidence to back that up. Uh, You might be saying something like, um, you know, Rebecca's recollection of events became foggy, um, or she was vague, or she couldn't recall where she stood, who else was in the room Um, her version of, of events versus other people's version of events differ significantly and therefore you believe one person over another. But you've got to look at each issue as it arises and be very clear uh, how you're coming to your conclusions um and the contested facts tend to be those around things that aren't simple that are more complex and involving the feelings of another person
1: and rebecca then i suppose uh, structure again i suppose is another key thing is there typically i suppose a kind of a summary conclusion kind of thing in workplace investigations reports and if so what should be laid out in this and i suppose it has to be probably objective as well as a key thing as well, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the report itself um, should really be a simple and accurate summary of of the matter in hand, the matter that's been investigated. But certainly in larger matters or where there's more complex issues, um, summaries can be particularly useful in, in that scenario because if you're breaking something down into sections, a summary of each section will kind of highlight what the important issues are. But um, certainly in terms of length of a report, it would always be preferable, in my view, to keep it as short and as summarised as possible. Um, But there are always those complex matters which which will take up more time. Um, Certainly in, in, in terms of reaching a conclusion, it's I suppose where all your analysis of the matter is happening, and it's a very important part of the document. And it's really important as well for... An investigator to demonstrate that their findings are based on the relevant evidence and that evidence was reliable and it should also demonstrate that the investigator has considered any evidence that perhaps doesn't support their finding or their conclusion, so it's important for someone to be able to stand over their conclusion and show that they've reached that finding considering everything even that which is not in support of of what ultimately the conclusion is so yeah very very important part of the report and certainly worth taking the time to sit down i would often say let it settle for a day or two and come back to it even and and let things percolate it's certainly you know if if there's any doubt um about what is in the report, it should be taken out. You need to be able to stand over it. So nothing should be in there that can't be supported by the facts. And if there was to be a, a factual error, it could really discredit the entire report. So I would really recommend taking the time um, to be happy with your conclusion and, and being proud to stand over that.
1: Definitely, and I think it's, it's something Mary alluded to as well, Rebecca. It's I suppose when you want to be objective, but you want to tell the full story and all this kind of thing, I suppose language and structure are probably two quite important things, aren't they? You you don't want to get too bogged down by terms. You want to keep it simplistic, but you want to tell it accurately. So I suppose language and structure probably could be the two leading things, really.
2: Two very important things, vital components, I would say own definitely language. And Mary also mentioned you always need to presume that this report can go before another forum, that it will go to another adjudicator, whatever the case may be. And so the language really needs to be clear and concise. It needs to be easy to understand. And I would always veer away from the use of acronyms or initials. I don't think that it's easy for a reader to keep up with that kind of um, trying to remember who witness A and B is, etc. So keep sentences short. Um, I would say always put yourself in the reader's shoes. And does this make sense to me? so that's language wise in terms of structure the report needs to flow from beginning to end but i suppose there there's not one size fits all because every investigation can be so different and but generally speaking i would always have an introduction letting the reader know what the investigation is about then you would talk about your investigative process, which Mary covered earlier on. And you really want to show the reader and the steps that you have taken as an investigator or a HR professional to to gather the evidence that you did. And I think Mary also mentioned, include any obstacles that you came across, what you did to overcome them. And a lot of, I suppose, investigators will forget, you know. This is the report. This is where you showcase um, that you have conducted a thorough investigation. And you really want to record the steps you've taken to demonstrate that you've conducted it in line with best practice, that it's been done in a timely fashion, etc. So really show off your process in the report. And then the, the background to the matter is where I suppose you would introduce key people, discuss the relevant policies. And um, so if it's a grievance procedure, you're looking at the staff handbook. You know, what are the what are the rules in place in terms of what you're looking at? And then, you know, as Mary also said, your events in question, you need to detail them um, and then look at your analysis and conclusions. So it would always really be looking at the issue um, and just again, repeating, Mary, going back to your terms of reference, checking what is the issue, looking at the rule that's applicable, what's the procedure, what's the policy, analyze the evidence, look at credibility, all things Mary touched on, and then and then come to your conclusion at the end. So that would just be a kind of a general um, format, but as I say, they can be different for every investigation.
1: And I think a skill that's often undervalued in lots of areas of the world of work in general Mary I think but it's it's one that's obviously very important to workplace investigations reporting is proofreading that's something I might ask you, you both, but I'll come to yourself first Mary how I suppose do you have any advice on on how important proofreading is or what to look out for when you're kind of proofreading a, a report like this?
3: Absolutely you know we've been doing workplace investigations probably for about 10 years um or more even um and you know over the course of that time we've had a number of different hr people uh, on our own team uh writing reports and it is not easy because you can get absolutely lost in a report yourself and not be able to see the wood from the trees uh, and not be able to spot your own spelling errors your own grammatical errors unfinished sentences um sentences that make no sense um things that you know about from the investigation but you haven't articulated fully or clearly so that um any person can read it and um, and sometimes when the report is written someone's a bit overwrought and and stressed by the process and particularly i find if, if people have in-house hr roles and they're writing a report they they're not able to get to it during their regular working day so they're actually working after hours or before work starts on the report um and not really seeing their errors and their mistakes so sometimes when we get to called in um To a process that might have been largely handled internally, and we're there maybe uh, hearing an appeal as an independent uh, person, and we look at the report. Sometimes I do I don't understand what somebody is trying to say, or it's so riddled with errors and poor grammar that um, it it completely takes away from the meaning of sentences. So I cannot emphasise and. I uh, enf- overemphasize promptly, uh, and my own team here, I'm sure, are, are are fed up sometimes of me because I do look at these things forensically. You have to, um, because you have to be able to explain what you've done. As as Rebecca says, you're showcasing your work, and that work may have taken place over many months, it may have taken place over a couple of weeks, it may have taken place over a year, um, and the longer it goes on. The bigger the process, the more material and documentation you've gathered, um, the harder the report is to write. So I do believe you need a second pair of eyes on every report um, just to ensure that it makes sense. That's not to say that, that the person who writes the report isn't responsible for the report. They are But you do need a second pair of eyes, somebody who can look at it um, and challenge even your findings. You know, does this make sense? I don't see how you've arrived at this finding, given what I've just read in the report. Um, So maybe that means the investigator has to go back into the evidence and uh, highlight evidence that's missing. Um, from the body of the report because they've come to a finding that doesn't appear to be backed up uh, properly in the report. So look, it it, it certainly isn't for the um, faint-hearted because it's a it's a, a difficult job and in order to do it well you must be able to write well as a starting point point. Um, you must be uh, able to articulate your points well on paper and um, and you have to be pretty thorough about grammar and spelling.
1: Yeah, I think you'd agree Rebecca I suppose it's at the end of the day you're presenting something that will be read by another person so having that someone there to proofread to really review it is it can't be understated I suppose can it
2: Absolutely, it's essential, as Mary said. If you're too close to something, um, you know, there's been times we're writing reports for weeks on end if it's a big matter, and really, the most simple mistakes are glaringly obvious to somebody else. So certainly, and I thought something else Mary said too: if a report is riddled with errors, grammatical, etc., it's so distracting for the reader. It really does take away from the entire process. So get it right proofread multiple times have a fresh set of eyes look at it make sure the names and dates are correct really basic stuff but there's consistency as well so if you're spelling numbers make sure they're all spelled rather than in numerical form keep it the same throughout and as i say if you're in any doubt um if there's any factual errors remove it Um, you know and and make sure it's fit for viewing um <laughs> from yeah from an adjudicator in another form just always expect it to be of that high quality level that it needs to be.
3: I think as well you know I often get asked about you know how should you describe people in a report so in a report you will be referring to numerous different people so you'll be referring to you know maybe the accused or the complainant and and you know, some people, like Rebecca said, use initials. So it could be EL for old lines. It could be RB for Rebecca and It could be MC uh, for Mary Cullen. But if we have Amara Kerwin involved there, we also have NMK or we could have a Roger Boyle and we've got an RB. And so you can see how confusing it can get, not just for the person writing the report, because I've often seen, you know, those initials uh, incorrectly used because the investigators themselves have got confused by whether it's an MC or an RB or an EL. And um, so I really don't like initials to describe the people. I think it's confusing confusing. Um, and then the question becomes Do you use formal language like Mr. Lines and Miss Bowman and Miss Colin? Or do you uh, say own lines, Mary Colin and Rebecca Bowman? Um, and these are things that you'd be surprised at the inconsistency because we might be calling you Mr. Lines one minute and then moving to an EL and then moving to uh, an own lines. And the reader is confused they don't know who you're talking about uh, at different sections of the report so the consistency in deciding right at the start how are you going to describe the people in the report do you need a table to say who's who and what job title they have and if there are variations Um, in job titles. So you'll often find in an investigation report, um, somebody might be called Patricia, but everybody you interview refers to that person as Trish. Uh, You need to be explaining somewhere in the report the difference so that there isn't confusion. Um, So these are really just simple tips that make a report flow so much better. And I mean, Rebecca Wright, beautifully you know she's probably one of the best writers we have at at insight hr and along with you own of course because you are also a beautiful writer and but it makes such a difference to the simplicity of the language to how easy it is to understand anything that rebecca has written it's just really abundantly clear and even though she's a brilliant writer there will be errors in there because she needs somebody else to review it, to make sure that there aren't spelling, grammatical errors, that she's finished everything she was meant to have written. And it all makes sense.
1: Definitely, I think I suppose my last question, and I think I know the answer. I suppose in short, Mary, it's is this a one person job? What I really mean by that is if a HR person is tasked with a report or workplace investigations, uh, workplace investigation to themselves, it's something you really need to ask for support on, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah look it's not always possible let's be real um the the resources aren't always there to do that and in those cases i would say to people you've got to create space so you know writing a report under massive pressure um is going to be your enemy slow it down um Write carefully before you issue the report, leave a day or two in between and go back and review the report before you issue it um, so that you pick up and catch some of your own mistakes um, I did hear someone once told me that you should read every sentence backwards and I was like my god I don't think I could do that that would take hours but apparently that's a trick of, of uh, editors but uh, again I've never tried it um simply because I've never had that much time available to me to do it but again it's you know what can you do to ensure it reads well. Um, and in the absence of having the support, you know, it, it really is about taking your time. In the ideal world, you know, if you're in a standalone role, it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to carry out the investigation and write the report because it, you will not have time during your working day. And how do I know this? It's because I speak to my clients who couldn't get the budget for the investigation or maybe you didn't fight hard enough for the budget for the investigation um, and find themselves tasked with it i assure you the very next time the investigation comes up they're telling the senior team i cannot conduct it We need to outsource this I cannot do it myself um, because it takes up a massive amount of time, Um, and you know, just because you're in HR doesn't mean you necessarily have the skill to do it. You know, if you're looking for someone who can write a report, you're looking for someone with a very high standard of English. Uh, You're looking for someone with the knowledge of employment law. Uh, You're looking for someone who has time to dedicate to an investigation um, and you're looking for someone who is extremely analytical if you're not analytical then having a big bunch of evidence at the end of a process to analyze and do something with becomes a nightmare task so think carefully before you take it on that's what i would say and if you're analytical and, and a brilliant writer and you have the time great give it a shot it's a good experience. A learning experiences I always tell my team here and that afterwards they tell me they don't want that much learning <laughs> they were happy in their hr life before they got to learn how to uh, do investigations and write reports
1: <laughs> I suppose same question to yourself Rebecca then like even if you can't don't have resources to pull somebody in for I suppose big chunks of it at least you can pull people in for those certain parts where you do need that support the proofreading the whatever
2: yeah, absolutely. It it is good to to have help if it's available to you. I know for for busy investigators, it's very hard to put the uh, the time aside and sit down to really give it the attention the report needs. Um, you know, supporting documents can be huge. Um, it's it's it would be good to have administration support as well. Um, and with particularly tricky matters you know it, it can take a number of people to get a great report over the line i mean the good thing at Insight, inside hr is that we've got a great team now and where we all contribute in our own way to the final product and um you know, it's for anyone who's a one man or a one woman show, I think it's very important for them to maybe keep contemporaneous notes and so that when they do come to sit down to it, it's it's not such a mammoth task, but um, certainly it, it, it does help to have a team behind something that we can all be proud to stand over.
1: Definitely. So a big, big, important topic, big project, but at least at least the support is there, and hopefully something like this can help people along the way as well to, to, to getting started with a report and a workplace investigation itself. So a huge thank you to, to Mary and Rebecca for such an insightful discussion and some great tips there, and hopefully we've a lot of people at ease. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe if you already haven't and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management, you can trust. Get in touch with us today at InsideHR. Thank you, Rebecca. And thank you, Mary.
0: Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.